20 seconds left. One more snap for Desmond Ritter and the UC Bearcats. He takes the snap, he takes a knee, he pumps his fist, and the celebration begins at Notre Dame Stadium. Opportunity seized as the Bearcats send a message to the college football world. Did you see that? Cincinnati wins it 24 to 13. Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Something happened. What? I don't remember. Uh, some, something happened big this week, I think. Uh, you know, one thing I, I'm pretty sure of, though, it is a great day to be a Bearcat all across the land including the pearly gates of heaven where St. Peter will not be welcoming Brian Kelly because Brian Kelly is going straight to hell, but he will be one day welcoming every glorious basketball uh, football fan as we snapped Notre Dame's, what is it, three-year win streak at home? Indeed, indeed. Indeed, it is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcats fan. Uh, we are also joined by an esteemed guest. He's been on the podcast now multiple times. Uh, he, he hails, I believe, from the state of Indiana, which is now uh, paid and bought by the University of Cincinnati. Brian Fox is back on the podcast. Brian, thank you for joining the Cincy Slang and Podcast again. No, no, it's my, it's my distinct pleasure to be a part of this. I just don't, I don't even know who... Hummer was talking about or referring to just a moment ago. Um, mentioned a couple of names that are now dead to me. One being Brian Kelly, the other being Notre Dame. I am on to Temple. Uh, this is a business trip. Saturday was a business trip, and we're not finished yet. No celebration for you. No, uh, no gloating. No thumping our chests. We're not gonna. We're not gonna crow a little bit at at Brian Kelly, Marcus Freeman, Mike. Uh, Mike Mickens, we're not going to we're not going to do any of that. Not even familiar with those names. Um, we are on to Temple Friday Night Lights. Uh, was Saturday a delightful experience? Of course it was. Um, did I smile? Did I tear up? Did I cry? Did I sob? Yeah, all of those. Um, but it's a business trip uh, and we are not satisfied until uh, we we are uh, hoisting the college football playoff championship trophy and, and, and then locating uh, Desmond Ritter's Heisman trophy somewhere within the Linder center building. I want to, I want to take you back though, and, and get into the emotions of Brian Fox, because I don't, I don't, I think this has to be explored. You're someone who comes across as so uh, you know, you're so well-spoken and, and verbose and you use such, such educated and, and highfalutin words, but we've never really seen the emotional side of you before. Take me to that place. What is, was it, what is an, an emotional Brian Fox look like? Oh, um, let's put it this way. It, today is Sunday. Uh, we are more than 24 hours removed. 
And I still have not been able to play any of the video clips of Bearcats fans celebrating after the game without having to turn it off because I, I start, uh, you know, clinching up, tearing up, and I begin the heavy, ugly sobs. So that's pretty much, I just can't even, and I'll tell you, I told Andy this as the, as we were leaving the game, I said, I can't, I literally can't think about what's happening around me or else I'll be in a puddle, just like sobbing with my, uh, my thumb in my mouth, just trying to figure out how to like, you know, pull it together to leave. So I just couldn't take it all. It was, it was honestly so much that I had a hard time taking it in. It really is a, a glorious time. The, the glory is officially the Cincinnati for the Cincinnati Bearcats fans. Um, I think all of us, it's, it's a sense of relief. It's a sense of joy. It's a sense of uh, euphoria that, frankly, we just we don't get a lot of as Cincinnati Bearcat fans. And uh, we went in there and didn't even it didn't ever feel you know, nerve wracking or th- there wasn't that much uncertainty about the game. They played so well. The defense dominated so thoroughly. Um, and, and just left us with this absolute joyous of a moment when you're, when you're sobbing and, and when you're in Brugger's bagels and you're sobbing uncontrollably and, and you feel it coming on, who are the images, who are the faces that are flashing through your mind at that time? Who are you thinking about in the, in that moment? Uh, the, uh, the, the, the fans, like the community, like people who, you know, have been Bearcat faithful through thick and thin, um, I think of moms and dads of players. I think of players. I think about, I think about Desmond Ritter, like a guy who, uh, who has done more for the university of Cincinnati than that guy and always remain positive, upbeat. There's a point at during that third quarter where um, momentum started to shift and um I, I just felt, you know, you can feel a stadium start to started to pulse with excitement. The home crowd started to get into it. And I remember like kind of watching all of that and then thinking in my head, yeah, but Des doesn't typically, he's not disturbed by these things, but he is a, I don't know. Uh, he, he's just so positive, so upbeat that it's, it seems like that those moments don't cut through in his mind. And, and so I felt like it's okay. Like when we trot back out on offense, I'm not worried about him making some horrible mistake. Um, I'm actually thinking he's probably going to do something with his feet to break this thing open. That's what's so special about Des Ritter. And is it's that he can start a game inaccurate. He can be six of 15 missing his missing the mark on throws. The offense might have stalled out a few possessions in a row. The momentum, as you alluded to in the third quarter, has completely swung. And he's absolutely certain of himself. He's certain of his teammates. And I feel like his teammates absolutely feed off of that. That's what that is the personality of the team at this point. And now as a fan base, it feels like it feels like the fan base finally realizes that too. Like our guys got this, and that's because of Des Ritter. Um, and it might be from Des Ritter learning and 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 playing under Luke Fickle for four years. But I think we have to give Des a lot of credit for who he is as a, as a person and that personality that he brings to the table. Um, and, it, and it definitely translates to the football field. I'm sure that there were a lot of NFL scouts there who 
you know, as they are looking at, at their draft boards and helping their organizations figure out who they want, they've got a lot of players, maybe not a lot of players in that game, but they, they got some players that are more highly rated than Des. And I'm sure a lot of fans watching the game, both Cincinnati and Notre Dame fans alike, you know, are looking at the rosters and looking at these teams play and they're thinking about who they think is the best person on the field. But between Desmond Ritter's ears, there, there was nobody as good as him in that stadium. And that translates. It, it, it's, and, I, and I think that he felt that before the game started. And then I think he felt that, you know, all the way through the third and fourth quarter down the stretch. And he's doing he's got- this. He's doing this after the self-inflicted pressure, which feels intentional in some ways of, I'm not worried about this loud crowd. I'm going to reveal publicly what my offensive coordinator is telling me about this vaunted Notre Dame football stadium. Uh, Don't care at all. Uh, We're going to shut them up. And then he goes out there and plays like that too, with just unwavering confidence on the field. Yeah. It's, uh, It's something that I don't think that we quite gather how profound it is. Um, you know, we're watching, we just watched a team get its most historic victory, you know, history of the university and, um, on, on the shoulders of a quarterback who is just completely unflappable. He's intrepid in every situation. He just steps out there and he leads his team to victories. It really is incredible. My my favorite play, the play I think about and probably will remember forever from Des Ritter in this game, and there's a few of them. It's not going to be the only play I ever think about, but it's after Notre Dame had scored the touchdown to pull them within four points. They missed the extra point, so I think it was 17-13, and Cincinnati gets the ball back and, and starts immediately going down the field. Jerome Ford breaks off um, a, big, a big run. I think it was about a 16-yard run. And then a couple plays later, Des just lets rip from the Cincinnati 47 or so, like a 36-yard, 35-yard pass downfield, just a perfect strike to Lenny Taylor in stride. That that was the moment that was like, oh, my God, they're going to put them away right now. They're, they're nailing the coffin down right here at this moment. And then a couple plays later, he runs it in for the touchdown, um, putting them at three total TDs for the game. Just incredible stuff. I think that's arguably the most important drive in Cincinnati football history. Yeah, they came. I, I mean, they, they, they I don't delivered. Even get to use the word word arguably. I think it it is. You know, it's the one that at that point you kind of knew where this game was going. You knew the game was over. That's the one that that sealed the deal. And you know, not only is this, at least in you know UC's football program, this is the biggest win we've had, and. You know, not only that, from the group of five perspective, you know, we're the first team to go in on the road and beat a top 10 ranked opponent who's quote unquote in the power. I know they're not technically a power five school because they're independent, but they're they're grouped in with those schools. Uh, You know, we went to their house and did it on the road. And, you know, when you look at the, the landscape of college football right now, you know, this, this is that game that says to the critics, like, all right, Cincinnati's for real. They're here. They have deserved this benefit of the doubt, or they deserve more benefit of the doubt than what we've been being given up to this point. 
Yeah, I think it's funny how much cachet beating Notre Dame in South Bend gives you. I underestimated it somehow, and I knew it would be a big deal if he went out to to South Bend, won the game. And I, I knew that national media praise would come with that, but I think it's been surprising to me that it's just unanimous. They're here. They deserve a chance at the playoff, especially if they go, obviously, if they go undefeated uh, with that, with that, that specific contingency. But it's gotten, it's gotten Cincinnati quite a bit of, of cachet in the national media by going there and, and winning at Notre Dame. The, the problem now, if, if there is a problem, there's really not a problem. Look, we're undefeated, we're 4-0, and we're definitely heading toward an undefeated regular season at this point. Uh, there's not a lot that can stop us. But um, it's very early in the season, and there's a lot of time for these same people to forget this moment. But it is great to see the team, Luke Fickle, Des Ritter, uh, MyJ Sanders, all these guys who came back for a special season get this national praise and this recognition, and now uh, a, a number five ranking in the, in the AP. Yeah, it's, you know, we went out to UCLA and we beat them in the Rose Bowl. And for us, it was a signature victory. It was important. But, you know, the, the press could kind of disregard it, right? The national media could go, eh, yeah, but Chip Kelly's new. Um, and, okay, maybe they're slightly ascendant among the group of five, but fine. Um, and then, you know, we, again, bury them at home yeah but it's a home game uh we go on the road at indiana we beat a a pretty good iu team and you know folks are kind of doing the same yeah but this is a a middling to lower tier autonomous five team what do we care this you know beating notre dame at notre dame clearly kind of blew the lid off of the, some of the perceptions that had dogged us so much in the past. That said, there's still going to be a Paul Feinbaum, a SEC favoritism, a Big Ten favoritism headwind that's going to it's going to impact us. Make no mistake, we we may very well go undefeated this season and still be boxed out of the college football playoff. And if it happens, um, I will endeavor to figure out any way that I can to sue uh, the livelihoods away of every participant of that college football playoff committee. I will, I will, I will try to do anything I can uh, to prevent such a horrible occurrence from barring us from the college football playoff. I think what we did against Georgia last year in the peach bowl, though we didn't get over the top um, helps and it, it should figure prominently in the members of that committee's mind. Um, and, you know, hopefully going on the road and beating these two teams back to back, you know, even though there's a bye week in between will be, you know, a sufficient resume. Cause I, I I'm fairly confident we're going to go undefeated down the stretch. There's just nobody who can play with us. And Luke fickle has, has now, you know, engineered this team to put away bad teams quickly. Yeah. I, especially in the, in the coming few weeks, there's not, there's not a huge threat out there and it's to our own detriment really that that so many teams in the American athletic have come up uh, much worse than originally anticipated this season. I think there were some expectations this year for 
for Central Florida to, to take a step forward uh, from where they were last season. Obviously, D- Dylan Gabriel's injury certainly doesn't help things there. They go to Navy this past weekend, take a loss. Um, you know, Temple is Temple. Uh, Tulane, which has had, you know, is sort of like the indie hipster pick before the season is sort of being a, a potential top three, top four finisher in the league. They've, the wheels have come off there. SMU is kind of the hope for a, a team that I think just cracked the top 25 this week. Maybe their momentum continues. They stay undefeated. They enter the top 15 or so. And that's a, a marquee matchup for the Bearcats late in the season that, that will help us kind of reestablish that, that competition bar where we can go out, beat a really solid team and, and refresh everybody's memory as to how good this team really is. Um, you flashed back to that Georgia game, that drive, that final drive in the Georgia game where we miss on the fourth and two play Des doesn't hit, um, you know, a streaking wide receiver down the field. And we ultimately lose this game. That is, that felt like a very similar drive to what the Notre Dame drive we were describing was when he, he hits Lenny Taylor and he finishes it with a rushing touchdown. That's how that drive had the same vibe to me, except this time we came through, we delivered, and, and the monkey's off our back, per se. You're saying it so eloquently, so beautifully. Uh, you know, you stole one of my my points, you know, that we made pre, pre-recording, you know, so just feel, you know, feeling like you're just taking the sail right at the wind right out of my sails. This is taking the sail out of his wind. Erroneous. <laughs> Absolutely erroneous on all counts. Um, a couple, a couple statistical observations I did want to throw out to you guys just to, I, I found it interesting. So we score three touchdowns in this game. The length of those drives uh, were a minute and 12 seconds. And that came after the, uh, that came after the Deshaun pace interception which took us down to the six yard line. So that would explain uh, why that only lasted a minute and 12. Then we scored right before the half uh, a minute. It was one minute and eight seconds on that drive. That drive started in our own territory. And I think we went 80 yards to score in just over one minute on the road at Notre Dame, which was sort of the antithesis of the conservative play calling that has been the, uh, the downfall uh, in terms of the perception of Mike Denbrock as an offensive coordinator. I thought that was an absolutely fantastic and critical drive. And then in the fourth quarter, um, the drive we've been waxing poetic about, that was a three minute and 12 second drive. Interesting that all three touchdown drives accounted for about basically five minutes of actual football. I I don't, I don't see the issue here. (laughs) No issue. Are you no, mad about this? I'm not mad about it. I'm, no, I'm, you're, I'm, you're I'm so actually, angry. I'm sort of giving you an opportunity to celebrate, <laughs> to celebrate Mike Denbrock. Like this is a moment where I feel like, you know, he, we, we maintained a level of aggression in this game throughout that I think is somewhat admirable. I think it resulted in, in some drives ending early and stalling out early. Right. I think we converted like two third downs in the entire game. Um, we didn't necessarily always move the sticks on every drive, but it seems like, there was a, a higher level of aggression throughout the entire game uh, where we weren't just tucking our tails between our legs. We weren't uh, playing scared when taking a lead. Like we were attempting to score points and continue to score points. Um, you know, lead be damned basically. Yeah. This was the opposite of the peach bowl. Um, peach bowl. We, you know, we nabbed a lead um, and then we just dithered it away by, hoping to God that Georgia didn't put together enough offense to get over the top against us. Um, yeah, here we were quick strike throughout. 
Um, I also think there's, we just had guys who made plays. Lenny had, Lenny played out of his mind. Um, Lenny was just phenomenal, but not just hauling in passes. He was great. You know, you've, think about tight end play in a number of ways, but, you know, we, we saw, you know, we were gashing him on the ground too. Um, and that doesn't come without great blocking up front and, and great tight end blocking as well. Like, I think, you know, you, you, when you look at our opportunistic defense, when combined with quick strike offense, I, I'm not saying we want Bama, but I'm saying we don't mind Bama. Am I overstating? You know am what? I, I, am I feeling my oats? Am I? Lost? Are, are you? Are you? I would, I would want them. I would want them. I would want them. I I take Alabama. That you're going to play them probably regardless. Either way, if, if we're in the playoff, we're gonna we're gonna be playing them either way. I'd love to just take them out first round and then just know we're winning a national championship, <laughs> right? I think I love, I love this conversation and I don't care. Fine. Haters pile on, go ahead. Pile on. I mean, look, look at, look at our, look at our roster. Look at the size of our offensive line. Um, look at our, look at our defensive line. Look at where our, our guys are projected in the draft. Like I, I just have a hard time feeling like we are the unwanted step cousin in the college football playoff. Like there, there, there may very well be a reason that they don't want us there. And it's, you know, it, they're, they're concerned about viewership numbers and ad sales, but they may also be concerned about, you know, an outside team like ours toppling the expected order. Well, the, the historically great group of five teams have been gimmicky teams of sorts. They don't, they're not necessarily loaded with talent or athletes or, or guys who can actually match up toe to toe in the trenches with programs like Alabama or Ohio state or Clemson. Um, they have, you know, shrewd, intelligent, creative coaches who create lots of uh, cool offensive schemes that allow, allow them to score points and upset the legs of Oklahoma. The Bearcats aren't that they're not in that mold at all. Like we're coming to these games with equal talent, with equal athletes, with equal NFL draft prospects. And I think that does, you know, Alabama is the one team that I look at and you're always like, you know, that's, it's tough to ask for Alabama. They're the one team in college football that seems to year in, year out, be a, be a completely different level from everybody else. But we're not going to any of these games against, I mean, the likes of Georgia, the likes of Iowa, Penn State. I'm not particularly scared of those teams. And I think the Peach Bowl was evidence of that. This Notre Dame game was evidence of that. And, and Des Ritter's continued improvement and, and confidence level is, is plays into that. I just think this team's talent level is exceptional and we're, we're ready to play any of those teams. But Alabama, it, please, please don't take it personally, Alabama. You know what I mean? Like that we got to be careful yeah. a little bit on, on, Nick, on asking Nick, for the Nick listening. Saban big stick. If Nick Saban's listening, hey, <laughs> one, Nick, you're a great coach, man. Just a neat guy. Just doing a lot of neat stuff down there in Tuscaloosa. And I respect you, but we're probably going to beat that ass. 
we are. We, we, we most certainly are, Nick. And you heard it from Brian. Um, I'll send you his address after the pod. I'm not going to uh, necessarily put my stamp, my, my name on that one yet, Nick. Please forgive <laughs> us. Forgive us, Nick. Yeah. Tell I, me a little I, bit. I, go ahead. Go I ahead, Brian. We, I think we compete. I think we stack up. We, we proved that last year in the Peach Bowl. How do we – why are we all – you know, I even I say we want Bama. I say we don't mind Bama because there's just this reluctance, right? We just beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame. Why is it that our fan base and, and even us, those who are the truest believers, are why are we hedging? I'm, I'm actually I don't, I, that now? I don't feel like I'm hedging at all. I feel like I am I'm here for put us up against any single team in the country. And I like our chances at winning any game, but I've always, my, my brand is Alabama is a completely different beast. And that when they have Jerome Ford on their team, Jerome Ford is their fourth running back option. Like that's, it is a completely different level of depth and talent. And I know Georgia's loaded the same way, but I'm not scared of Georgia at all. Give us, I want that personally, I'm rooting for a first round matchup with Georgia just for the revenge factor. Let's go, let's go SEC, SEC, Georgia in the first round of the playoffs, uh, Alabama in the second round, and let's just end the, end the, end the uh, skepticism forever and stamp ourselves as the greatest team ever seen in college football. But again, uh, Alabama's I, a different beast. I like the optimism. I mean, we've talked about this uh, off air and kind of wanted, I don't know when we're ever going to get a chance to do a segment, but you know, you hear these comments of like uh, Cincinnati, they're just overrated. It's, it's overrated. This one, I think this game should, should prove that. And then, Oh, well, well, you know, no, now Notre Dame's not that good or they're overrated. Everybody in college football is overrated except for Alabama and Georgia is quickly, I think getting to that point of not being overrated, but you can go through the list of these teams and say, all right, who did Iowa really beat? They beat an unranked Iowa State team. They beat an unranked uh, Indiana team. Great. You know, you get Penn State, beat an unranked Wisconsin team. Great. Great. You know, you have all these teams. That say, oh, they did so well, but you now you're, you're putting them up there. Like, everybody's, everybody in one way or shape or form is overrated until you actually start playing the games. Here we are. Cincinnati's doing their job. They're doing what they needed to do. Indiana may not have been pretty, but it doesn't matter. We came down and we did what we needed to do. People say, like, I keep seeing this one. This one's irritating the crap out of me on Twitter, uh, which maybe I shouldn't let Twitters get to me all that much. But, you know, oh, Notre Dame beat Notre Dame. Okay. Who causes interceptions? Does putting a pressure on a quarterback and causing him to make a, a bad decision that results in his 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 pass getting intercepted? That That doesn't. No, that's him just throwing a bad pass. It's not the defense causing it. Okay, grow up, people. Cincinnati handedly beat Notre Dame. That game, the score, honestly, shouldn't even been that close. We left points on the board. If anything, if we would have lost that game, Cincinnati would have lost that. We would have lost, we would have beat ourselves because we had two missed field goal opportunities. We should have had more points on the board than what we did, and. I'm kind of I'm sick of hearing hearing that excuse. Cincinnati is the real deal. We're here, and at this point, we deserve a shot. We're just as good as any team on that on that board, and I think we'll stack up to anybody. And it doesn't really matter at this point. Well, and, and isn't there a reason that for every coaching vacancy, Luke Fickle's name it figures, you know, in the one slot? Like, of course they want him because he's 
it's not just because Cincinnati is ascendant or Cincinnati is, you know, uh, out punching their weight sometimes. It's because Cincinnati, he's turned Cincinnati into an elite program. Like we are, we are a monster factory. We take kids who may not be five-star athletes. Maybe they're a low four, maybe they're a high three. And, and Luke brainwashes them and builds them into absolute behemoths who destroy guys who are more highly re- rated recruits. That's, that is what he's done at Cincinnati. That's why every program would gladly take him to be their head, head football coach. I don't disagree with that at all. I, th- I think, too, it also comes down that Luke Fickle is just a really good evaluator of talent in that the, the recruiting rankings aren't necessarily all, all what they're cracked out to be. And so he, he knows what he's looking for. And, you know, we hear him say it all the time, the Cl- Clifton style. You know, he wants to make sure that he's getting these guys that fit his culture and the culture that he's built is exceptional. Uh, I think one of my favorite quotes, though, I did hear him say, um, there's, there's not going to be any, any traffic where we're fucking going. <laughs> <laughs> i was happy to see that video because it feels like our our digital team the athletic department in general is leaning into you know the the dark side of luke fickle and, and by dark side i only mean like like luke fickle at night like the the off the record behind the scenes this guy motivates by there's a lot of f-bombs there's some foul language but you can actually see why players love him so much play so hard for him and believe in him um, unequivocally because I, but the Deshaun pace video is where I first saw that personally. I had not seen it. I don't go to higher ground. I haven't been in a locker room uh, with, with Luke fickle and getting to hear him uh, behind the scenes. I was blown away with uh, wanting to just bang my head against the door, um, go outside and, and kick 50 yard field goals. Like I was ready to, to go to war with Luke fickle after hearing that video. Fick at night. That's, that's the new one. Fick at night. There's, there's a, <laughs> you know, like, I think it's the evaluate, like he, he's, he evaluates talent, but he very much in every article that you read about him, people talk about his mental toughness, you know, he never, uh, never lost a high school wrestling match and pinned every opponent. You, you hear about this mental fortitude component and, you know, you think about some of the early stuff, early, some of the early training stuff that they started immediately when he took over the program, the, the toughness, the training out in the snow. I don't know if you remember those old videos they were kicking out, but it's, it was a seat change, right? There was just this, you know, th- this guy is really trying to train and teach and coach toughness. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago that, if you would have pulled our fan base and asked them, do you prefer benching Desmond Ritter in favor of Ben Bryant? That, that poll might not have been pretty close. And you didn't see a, a single word from Luke Fickle even willing to entertain that. And it's because I think Luke Fickle saw something in Desmond that nobody else saw. It's he saw that's the swagger that allowed Des to walk into South Bend state, you know, into Notre Dame stadium and to not be moved and to not be, you know, overwhelmed by the moment. You know, he's, he's, he's a steady hand. You know, Desmond is an absolute steady hand. He's the guy 
he's a goldfish, you know, in the, in the vernacular of Ted Lasso, uh, if he messes up or whatever is, you know, he, he forgets about it immediately and he moves on and he has this unshakable sense of self and this unshakable sense of strength that no matter what the situations are that he's facing, he's the law, you know, the odds are not long in his mind. Um, and you know, it's, it's why I think the fan base, me included, I mean, I, I'm still laughing because, you know, there are three people here talking about a team that all of us love and that all of us think belong in the college football playoff. And the moment that we say we want Bama, there's a reluctance and like, a, ah, but do we? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Yeah, you're goddamn right. We, we do. You're, you are yeah. you're goddamn right. We do, Brian. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm upset at myself. That was a that was a, a a weak moment of not channeling the undefeated big thick energy that we're supposed to have this entire yes. season. It's yes. gotten us to the point where we are now. It's what carried us uh, as we went to Indiana, fell down by two touchdowns, yet ended up beating them by by fourteen points. And it's the exact same thing. It's the exact same reason we have Des Ritter, Luke Fickle, and the entire team going into Notre Dame and just basically punking them. For the entire game, for the duration of the game, that toughness that you're talking about and teaching the toughness, I felt like we saw it. I mean, especially defensively, our entire defense knows they're great, knows they're elite and knows they can shut down a team like Notre Dame, you know, Beavers, my J, you know, end of the end of the first half and my J's waving them goodbye, knowing like you're not going anywhere. You've got another half of this. We're, we're still here. You've got to come back for more. And we're going to absolutely physically dominate you. Um, I think that that toughness is, I think you hit on something there, Brian. I think that really is the, the special quality that, that really makes this team a threat to not just make the playoff. They're clearly a threat to go undefeated and make the playoff at this point, but to win the whole damn thing. They are, they're a special unflappable team. Um, and it takes me back last week when you, when you play Notre Dame, one of the side benefits of playing Notre Dame is you're down your podcast downloads go up because Notre Dame fans start listening to it. So some of the feedback you get is, Hey, why aren't you guys talking more X's and O's, which is really funny. Cause it's like, wow, you, you have no experience with this podcast. Apparently this is uh this is not, you know, Mina Kimes and Dan Orvlosky breaking down, you know, coverages and, and cover two, cover three, things like that. But the other email we got was, was this gentleman named Mark who I I'm not trying to put on blast. I love Mark. I appreciate the email. But one of his comments was uh, about the homerism he was hearing on the podcast. You better about, his last name then. All right. If he's, if I'm not throwing out the guy's last name. Absolutely Come not. on. No, absolutely not. But, but he said, but holy Homer, you guys are talking like the Bearcats are 2020 Alabama LOL. And you know what, Brian, why are, what, what am I doing? Why am I wavering? We should be talking about this team. Like they're Alabama. They are playing like it. We said this at the beginning of the year. We went off and I was like, we should we have expectations this year of going undefeated when we were talking about what is a successful season. And anything less than perfect, in my mind, was not a success. I'm like, we have this expectation. Why can't we? Why shouldn't we be coming into this season expecting if Alabama gets to do it, if Ohio State gets to do it, why the hell doesn't the University of Cincinnati get to do it? We sure should do. So here we are. We have expectations of going undefeated. Uh, What was it? Um, Our friend was asking me, we're watching the game. He goes, before the game, he goes, how nervous are you? I was like a five. 
He goes, really? Only a five? I'm like, I'm not that nervous. I don't know. I just This team, I have faith in them. And the five was just because you weren't sure how you were going to celebrate after the game. Like you don't, you didn't, really didn't know what you were going to be doing after the game to celebrate this, this victory. It was, it was upsetting because the, while we did enjoy the brewery, uh, we were avoiding anything Irish. You know, there was no Irish Jamish and shots. There was no car bombs. There were no <laughs> um, Irish stouts being drank in. But at some point, someone pointed out that an Irish stout means to literally eat the Irish. Um, and so we were, we were like, all right, well, we'll get some Irish stouts when the game is over. And um, the, the five creeped in because uh, they said they, they didn't have any Irish stouts left. It was out. It was gone. Uh, so maybe that was, a, you know, an omen, you know, being at the bar where they just they don't have their signature beer. Great. It's fantastic. I don't know what's happening right now but (laughs) (laughs) i'm just not nervous i'm just saying i'm not uh, nervous about this team anymore i'm i'm confident and i feel like every uc fan out there deserves to be confident that we expect nothing less than perfection this year this season and it's okay to have that expectation yes i I mean look we, we we luke fickle started this thing it's not like we he just started building right like we we are the roof is on, right? He started framing it. You know, he laid the foundation in the early years when he started getting, when he started recruiting hometown heroes away from other large programs, right? So some of those cornerstones you, you, you saw on the field, you know, the Malik fans of the world, they're, they're out there. These guys are the foundation. And then, you know, he laid the floor, he laid the frame, he laid the roof. Like, you know, this thing is a strong structure. And it's built on the brand of Luke's toughness. I don't think that we should ever be surprised when we beat a good program because our our players, one, were recruited by those programs. It's not like what Brian Kelly did in 2009 with guys who were, you know, not even on anyone's recruiting boards. A better example um, of the gimmicky, like, G5 programs. Like, that, that, yes. was, that was a little more, like, cliche gimmicky from a G5 program. Not to say that team's gimmicky. I'm not trying to degrade them it's a different level of talent than what we're seeing right now. If that team had ended up in the, in the national championship, they would have been boat raced. I, I don't think that we go to the college football playoff and get boat raced. I don't. And I don't care what, I know everybody's like, hey, everybody's just signing up to get boat raced by Alabama. I don't think, I don't think that's a, that's the case with us. Like I remember walking in to the, the sugar bowl in 2009, watching both teams take the field in new Orleans and thinking in my head, like that's a those are grown men, and we are a JV size team. Like we were just tiny by comparison. Right. Yeah. Now, in in our defense, we we didn't have double murderers on our side of the ball, right? Aaron Hernandez, apparently, like just a stone cold killer out there, just <laughs> jogging around catching passes. And literally, I watching, literally, <laughs> literally a murderer on the other side of the ball. Um, and and Tim Tebow, professional baseball player. Anyways, so also you know, also a murderer. No, no, I'm sorry. Not he's not. No. He was he wasn't. Okay. The Two opposite. polar polar opposites, right? <laughs> yeah, he's got to grab his boy Urban uh, at the Ooh. disco tech the other night. Um, man, just but, let the man let the man twerk. <laughs> let him let him get twerked on. Twerked on. Um, sorry, he was not yeah. doing the twerking. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I look at our team now and I'm like, yeah, we, we will jog out on the field as, as equals. Right. We'll, we'll, 
maybe maybe our guys, maybe Jerome Ford is was the fourth best back on Alabama. But after a couple of years under Fickle, he's different. He's now engineered to be a a badass running back who who plays different, who thinks differently about himself, who has been rebuilt, who has been reborn under the Luke Fickle coaching system. So I, I look at who we are, and, it, and we, it it should not shock anyone when we go toe to toe with with great programs and great teams that that we not only compete but we thrive and, and win. You know, I, if you look at what Scott Frost is doing now at Nebraska, I actually think there's some room for optimism. In um, his early time, you watch at what he's doing now with the Nebraska program. And that's what I think great coaches do is, and, and the jury's still out, of course, on Scott Frost, but they get rid of the, the weak guys. Under, you know, under Mike Riley, Nebraska's program started to, its roster started to be filled with some softer West Coast guys. And slowly but surely, you know, that roster is kind of turning over a little bit and it's starting to get a little tougher. Um, and, and that's what, you know, football is a, is a violent game. And the tougher, harder players play the violent game better than everyone else. I mean, it's it's a fact. I mean, it's a these guys are colliding at elite, you know, at Olympic speeds, um, in pads. It, there's there's no way to get around how violent of a sport it is, how lovely it is to watch and behold that violence. And how great it is to have somebody on the sidelines who's in charge of all of that, who could still <laughs> put it all, strap on some pads and go out there and be violent like anybody else. I mean, there's, he's just an elite coach who has built an elitely tough and competitive and nasty team. And a team that, that I think we want Bama. And I think we want Georgia. And I think we don't care who is on that line, you know, when it comes to college football playoff time, line them up and let's go see what happens. We want them all. We want them all. And that's why it'll be such a a damn shame if, if the, if they're done wrong again, a second year in a row after basically, you know, any, any hole you thought the Bearcats had last season in terms of not being able to prove their case uh, for the college football playoff in terms of worthiness by not having out of conference games on their schedule that were uh, of note, no, no autonomous five matchups because of COVID um, you know, not whatever the case may be that team arguably had, had an even better defense, but this season, all those holes have been closed uh, with these back-to-back victories over Indiana and Notre Dame. And, and I suspect what we do to the American athletic conference this season um it is something that you know you you probably it's not going to be fit for children anymore. This isn't going to be a family friendly <laughs> event at this point. This is not something that you can just make, uh, you know, TVG whatever the rating is. It's got to now be you have to give parents a proper warning before taking your kids to this season's American Athletic Games. This is for a mature audience only. There will be depictions of murder, uh, assault, assault with deadly weapons. Uh, it's not going to be pretty. Yeah, if we do not get into the college football playoff, I, I, it's like Rocky Five. I say we show up, and we're we have our team, 
you know, the bus pulls up and we're in the parking lot. And we say, you know, Rocky Balboa, there's a man outside who wants to fight you. <laughs> and, you know, it's and we're Tommy the Machine Gun and we're just ready to go out in the parking lot. And, you know, if if they won't if they won't play us in some sort of sanctioned sporting event, find a field and go and line them up because we're good enough to compete and to win any against any opponent. And I don't see us losing any and I mean any game this year unless we absolutely shoot ourselves in the foot with turnovers. Yeah, I mean it's gonna take a special type of of choke job for lack of a better there's, term. There's, to gonna be no, there's nothing that's games. gonna cause us to lose a game the rest of the season. We're too well coached to to do the the shoot ourselves in the foot. Yes. Football guides, please uh bring us health. Bring us uh bring us health. That's it. You know, keep us healthy, keep our guys healthy. Um, let let Darian Beavers continue to bring the violence, I think is how he describes. I think he was asked for like the key to the defense's success this season. And the second adjective or descriptor he used was violence. It was it was referring to <laughs> the violence they bring. So toughness, whatever you want to call it, uh, these guys are celebrating violence and continue to do so. And even as football changes and becomes more spread out, more finesse, more up and down the field, it does feel like teams that can embrace and channel uh, you know, they're in a psychopath and be violent and be tough and be physical on the field. Those, those continue to be the best teams. It's, um, yeah. It's not that it's not that at all. It, you know, it's, it's not the gimmicks, the gadgets, it's not the spread offenses that continue to prevail. It's, you know, what is Alabama's key to their success? Look at how incredibly big and violent their offensive and defensive lines are. I mean, that, that's what drives everything. It allows you to control the game on the ground when you want to on offense, and it allows you to disrupt any and everything that the offense is trying to do. Um, and if, if you were to talk to some of the more successful NFL coaches on what they're, how they've tried to build their teams, you, you'll see that they, they get really greedy every draft when they're trying and, 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 you know, they're not necessarily always looking for skill positions. They're looking for the next freak on the defensive line because that guy changes the game entirely or a reliable offensive lineman. Those yep. kinds yep. of guys can change the game entirely. Look no further than your Super Bowl. Look no further than, uh, you know, what LSU was able to do against Trevor Lawrence a couple of years ago and how, how they beat and battered him while Joe Burrow remained in a clean pocket, uh, delivering strike after strike to a, a litany of talented wide receivers. So uh, it's not a mystery. It's actually a rather simple game, despite how complicated plays are and how complicated uh, coverage concepts are and can be and, and foreign to people like me who never played. Uh, at the end of the day, it seems like you can read and understand this game just based on uh, the physicality amongst those front four alone. Well, that's something that you and Brian Kelly look like you had in common then this weekend. Cause there were times where I was just getting a kick out of Brian Kelly's face, just being like, I don't know what's going on right now. Uh, I've I'm super not understanding what Cincinnati is doing and how they're doing it so well. Uh, you know, I, I just, I love that. Are we spending enough time on how good <laughs> it feels to beat Brian Kelly? And that the fact that this isn't just beating Notre Dame, but it's beating the man who, who left us at our, you know, prior peak uh, before the bowl game 
to go to this, you know, prestigious university and great opportunity and top five program, all this and that. I mean, there's, there's some sort of poetic justice here, right, Brian? Oh, I think, I think he, I think nobody left Notre Dame stadium on Saturday more surprised than him. I honestly think that he was, uh, he, he did not in any way, shape or form expect that outcome. I think he, um, you know, he came back last year, you know, to celebrate the anniversary of the Pike to Benz and, you know, and probably thought, Hey, how, how cute, look at this program celebrating a win over Pitt, you know, <laughs> how convenient, you know, this is great. Good for them. I'm glad I was helping to get over the top against Pitt and, and, you know, and then with his comments, it, just dropping us right in the category of central Michigan, like, um, you know, and providing teams like central Michigan and Cincinnati an opportunity to play the, the university of Notre Dame, which was memorialized in a, a, a docudrama known as the movie Rudy. I think all of those things, um, have brainwashed Brian Kelly to forget like that, that we're not the 2009 program. You know, in, in a lot of ways, Brian Kelly in 2009 got way more out of guys than they ever dreamed possible, right? He, he, had, he had what it takes or what it took back then to build a small program, which was the ability to convince guys, you know, you, you, you can play better than you've ever dreamed. And guys did in 2009. Like, there's no question. They played out of their minds. Um, but Luke, Luke – is getting guys who were recruited by every large program to do the same thing. Right? This is the, and, this is the evolution. Like it's almost like, yeah. you know, Brian Kelly's was not ready for the fact that this program didn't stay static from 2010. It's it's not a it's not just the status quo of where he left it. No, this is a 12-year evolution uh, that actually saw us go backwards for a, a bit of a stint, but the last 5 years has just gone to an entirely new level. And it doesn't seem like he was prepared for, for how truly dominant their, the units, uh, the defensive unit, especially of our team is. Right. Yeah. I mean, he, he it, honestly, if you go back, you just look at the recruiting rankings for the, the caliber of student athletes that Brian Kelly competed with. It's incredible that we got as high as we did and that we were as successful as we were. And it was in large part due to, a really creative offense that he put together on the field. He convinced Tony Pike um, that he was, you know, the Joe Montana. And he just got every possible ounce out of every player on that field um, through his insanely rabid perfectionism. And he got it. And it was incredible. But it's not like, Brian Kelly ever came to Cincinnati with the eye toward building a program here. He wanted to take what was on the field and he wanted to squeeze every ounce out of it. Whereas Luke Fickle came in and Luke Fickle is different, right? He came in wanting to build an elite successful organization, right? And you see it in the way that he's, he is a methodical administrator. I mean, he's tough. He's, uh, you know, great. He's positive. He loves everybody, but he's also like, you know, he's a leader's leader. He's a guy that you could hand the keys to any successful corporation and say, 
you know, keep having your wrestler's routine of waking up, working out at four in the morning and, you know, eating only healthy food and being positive. You know, he's just the kind of guy who's building an organization after his own life. His own life is so together and organized and disciplined. It's just permeating. And he came in to build a, an organization that every year stockpiles talent, recruiting talent. It's what he saw happen at Ohio State. And he's doing that without the historic brand tailwind of Ohio State. And he's going out. He's using every creative means possible to go get guys to come play at the University of Cincinnati that are kind of built the way he wants them to be built. Um, he's choosy in the recruiting process. He focuses local. He's got all of those old relationships of Ohio coaches who know him to be a good and great person to play for. Um, and he's, he's just building a, he's building a monster at the University of Cincinnati. And it's way, you know, miles apart from what the program was when Brian Kelly left it. It's also maybe a sign too, if we're going to heap praise and, and more praise on Fickle, and he's certainly deserving of it, but I think you're, you're, you're right in that Kelly didn't come here even trying to program build. He came here trying to build the Brian Kelly brand. And there was a lot of, like you, I think you described it as perfectionism in terms of um, execution offensively and getting the most out of players schematically. But what it feels like Brian Kelly hasn't been able to do at Notre Dame is to transfer or find a way to get every ounce of even better players because Notre Dame has no shortage of talent. This is a, a program that that is getting lots of talented players yet when they at the most at the highest leverage moments against the best competition in the country, they regularly get punked. It seems like physically like I, I don't think of Brian Kelly teams as as tough teams per se. And this is kind of the special quality of Luke Fickle. And it probably makes him, as you said, the most desirable commodity in the coaching ranks in college football. And it probably doesn't just pertain to college football. He's, he's the kind of guy who is going to be tied to Philadelphia Eagles jobs and so forth. Um, it's his ability to, it's that, per, like it's, he's living his life. He's coaching his life. Basically. I think you're hitting the nail on the head there. Uh, the fact that he is just this tough guy, uh, like a disciplined wrestler who takes that to the coaching ranks, takes it to the field and, and creates monster of a football team. And I think he could, you could basically take that Luke fickle almost anywhere. And he's probably going to deliver for you. And maybe I should remove I mean, the probably. Yeah. I, I think he does deliver it everywhere. I think he, he has a harder time and in the NFL because, um, because you're going to get so many people from so many different walks of life and experience. I think it's a harder thing to curate at the NFL level um, than it is at the college level. Cause you're, you're getting guys at a little bit more at their foundation. Um, but yeah, at the you know, when you think about it in, in terms of, you know, I hate to take it you know too far off base here, but like whenever, you know, whenever in the hiring process or thinking about who I want on my team as an attorney, I, I think about those things and like what kind of a, per, you know, what's their background and experience and are they disciplined and are they, 
you know, are they success, you know, do they have a track record of just being personally successful and it tends to build better attorneys, right? If um, one, of, one of my favorite attorneys I've worked with, um, you know, when I hired her, she, she had a background, she was, uh, you know, captain of her field hockey team at, at Ohio State. I just knew she was going to be a great team player. I knew she was going to handle responsibility differently than other folks. Um, and it proved, it proved out. And I think, you know, when, when you look at a, who you want as your head coach, um, you don't necessarily want a schmoozer. You don't necessarily want somebody who's going to be just fantastic at interacting with the boosters. We saw how that goes. Um, you don't necessarily want someone who is, just personally ambitious i think we saw you know butch and brian were both very personally ambitious they they had in their minds where they wanted to go and it wasn't the university of cincinnati i don't think luke really you know it's kind of funny i remember my first conversation with luke after he got hired i was in his office and you know he's measuring me trying to figure out who's this guy you know i'm sure and i'm trying to measure him who's this guy and um you know asking about what his interests are and it's pretty clear he doesn't have any interests other than football and his family i mean <laughs> which <laughs> which you know is is funny right it's you know you it's a caricature of a football coach but it's precisely it's it's been the case that that's that's what he thinks about you know his kids and his, his wife and kids and football. Like that's what animates and motivates the guy every day. Uh, it's, and it's special. And I also remember asking him what his understanding of the University of Cincinnati's football program and, and history kind of, you know, understanding he had. And he said, Brian, not, not really much at all. I don't really know much about the program. And, you know, there's a part of me at that time that was a little like oh you ohio state assholes you know of course of course you're looking down your nose at tiny old university of cincinnati and in hindsight you know like i, I do think that there were probably occasions where he's wondering why brian kelly is back last year celebrating a win over pitt you know, given where, <laughs> given where he comes from. Yeah. Looking around like, too at the season we're having is like, wait, 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 wait. We're pausing to do this? To do we're what? Wait, wait. We're celebrating a win over the University of Pittsburgh on the road? Like, that's great and all, but who celebrates a win over Pitt? Um, I also like, though, the answer to the question, it has no bullshit in it, right? If he's, yes. If you're this guy, you're this attorney sitting in front of him who's a huge fan of I don't know what he actually thinks you are in that specific moment, but whoever you are, you've asked him what his understanding of UC football is. He may not have an understanding of it and he doesn't give you any bullshit whatsoever. Yes. There's no yes. fluff. He's just saying, well, I don't, I have no, uh, no, and this is at the beginning. There, there's history <laughs> here. There is history. Wait, okay. Yeah. And there's, and this is at the beginning where I could probably be more harmful to him. You know, if I wanted to be an antagonist, like I, you know, if he doesn't know that I, that's not my role. Right. But like in his mind, he didn't have anywhere to place me and he didn't care. Right. Just unvarnished. I don't have any knowledge really of the history here. And in some ways, 
that makes sense because we're history almost began you know i don't want to say it began in 2009 but it's a really short history right it's getting written it's it's extremely short with rick minters when i think it started it started getting written and it the book officially came out in 2009 right like but maybe the, fir- really the first chapter, book. like the first chapter is is beating Wisconsin at home, upsetting Ron Dane's Wisconsin team. Like that's probably the first chapter in the uh, the history of Bearcats football. And I, I know there's there's lots of history before that, but for all intents and purposes, that's like the first chapter. But then, you know, we we move forward. We fast forward in time pretty quickly there. Like we move forward 15 years pretty quickly. But isn't it fair to say that nobody outside of the 513 area code started reading the history book until 2009. Yep. Yes. Yes. It's why, I mean, you know, and there's probably a yeah. lot of people within the 513 area code who didn't start reading the book until 2009. Yeah. And, and what Luke is accomplishing of recent, you know, especially recently certainly seems to be like a different caliber of history right and and foundation and i hope to god he never leaves and i hope to god he's always the coach at the university of cincinnati until he's ready to retire um but man what what a sea change of like just coaching excellence like we have been able to see i mean that that is to step back for a moment in the middle of the season and to go we just beat notre dame on the road and it wasn't even close and and i think there was a lot of pressure on him for the game honestly i don't think that cincinnati fans necessarily put the pressure on him we as a fan base probably should have had more pressure on luke fickle to win and deliver in this moment because if there was a shortcoming so far in his otherwise untouchable uh, career with UC, it's that we we have kind of come up short in the biggest games, the highest leverage moments. You know, we get excited about this trip, this trip to Ohio State, and 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 fall completely on our face. You know, we are scuffed from head to toe. We've got a slight brain injury. It went horribly. Um, the Peach Bowl was a much better performance, but more or less, you know, crap the bed there at the end of the game. Um, and then you have this new opportunity in 2021 against Notre Dame, and, and he passed it with flying colors with just an absolutely dominant performance. I, I disagree with you there. Um, only, only in regards to the of of the pressure pressure comment you're making. I think we absolutely did put pressure on Luke Fickle to win this game, and I don't know how many how many fans were were in attendance of that game, but the fact that it looks like it had to have been north of 15. 20,000 UC fans at an away game in Notre Dame. That's pressure. That's pressure when you have that many people making a trek up there, taking over, taking over a stadium like that, basically doing something that some people are saying has never been done before in the history of away, you know, away fan bases in Notre Dame, you know, taking over the, over the place with, with the let's go Bearcat chance, you know, having to have the band start playing to drown, to drown you out. Absolutely. We put pressure on him to win. I like that. It's it's pressure through action rather than the the narrative talk the week leading up to it. Because I think you're right. That's a good point. 
that the the actions of the fan base did put quite a bit of pressure on him. Um, and it, it, it's horrible. And we, I'm glad we never have to think about what happens if we, if we walk out of there with a loss, but now I, I was skeptical, like, what does it look like? Do we, are we able to get, you know, the enthusiasm for this team going forward that it needs, you know, to sell out games, to see massive crowds, even against weak competition coming out of Notre Dame, being a top five team. I'm actually more optimistic now that we can see more momentum on fan support going forward. Do you, do you think that's possible, Brian? that we can't actually see us rally around the ranking, the victory and not get distracted by uh, the opponent. I don't know. I hope so, man. I hope so. Um, I think it's, you know, Luke has done everything that he possibly could to overhaul the roster to, you know, and to completely change what the University of Cincinnati football means. But I don't I don't think we as a fan base have done our part yet. Um, and I don't know that we as a university and administration have done our part either. Um, yes, he's paid, you know, pretty well. Um, but show me, you know, that was the greatest win in program history, but you know what it was maybe more importantly, it was the single most impactful marketing event that the university of Cincinnati has ever had. I mean, there were more eyeballs from 16, 17 and 18 year olds. There there's more brand traction that was gained from, you know, five hours on a Saturday than anything that a university can kick out, you know, by itself or organically. There's just no, there's no way to touch as many lives, hearts, minds with what you are as a university than that. Uh, you just connect more. And so I, you know, I don't think we as a fan base have done our part yet. Um, it was great. We, we absolutely did our part on Saturday. I mean, we were, you know, again, this is why I, I have a hard time even talking about it. Like what, what, what we did in that stadium was incredible. I mean, just there, there, I don't have the vocabulary for it, but I hope that John Cunningham was working the phone, his entire drive home. And I hope he was saying to people, we've got to get some facilities projects underway for this program they're doing it they're we have to equip them with whatever it takes whatever they think that they need we got to put it in their hands we got to put it at their fingertips um and as you know this is where you approach a guy like fickle and you say hey look what about 10 years would a 10-year contract get you get you over the top what do you need for your assistant pool how much and then dial for dollars to get there because um, there are three, there are three pieces to this, um, you know, retaining Luke fickle thing. Well, four, one is, is probably the most important. And that is that whatever Amy fickle wants or needs, <laughs> she gets, <laughs> if the university of Cincinnati needs to employ a driver, 
to help her get all six kids to different sporting events or whatever, <laughs> I, I'll volunteer. I'll volunteer to drive her kids, even though I can't get mine sometimes to all the practices they need. I will drive their children to get them to practices. I will e I will e bike them. These are these are generally large children, but I will hop on my e bike and make sure they get to football. Now, does Amy yeah. also have like a, a like a soft heart? Like if we started getting like uh, like you know the, the 12, 13, 14 year old kids who are Bearcat fans, or like even younger, you know, like four or five year olds writing crayon letters to her, you know, about how much she they they love Man. the Fickles and love love you being in Cincinnati. Hummer, this is this is maybe the best idea you've ever had. Holy cow! <laughs> That okay, yes, yes, and that's gonna happen. Please stay, coach, coach, coach Luke and Amy. I love that. That's a campaign. Everyone who's listening, have your child. I don't even care if your kid is a 16 year old, okay? <laughs> Get them a box have of them, crayons, have them right with their offhand. Yeah, I need some construction paper, uh, a box of crayons, and tell them to you know write a letter to amy fickle saying thank you for letting your husband coach the bearcats please don't ever let him leave <laughs> so, all right so it's that's starting the initiative is starting I'm, I'm that's my uh, my daughter's project this week oh yeah I, all three of my boys are doing it yep um so that's project one so that's the first part the second part is putting together a sal I don't Luke isn't someone I mean he turned down five and a half million at Michigan State he's not somebody who's just trying to cash a big paycheck you know <laughs> in addition to being a marvelous coach a disciplined human he's also not greedy I I'm beginning to like create an archetype here of of <laughs> like a this is what a man should be he is Luke this is your, uh, this is like your your um your guest appearance on one of these uh, magazines about like 10 qualities to look for in a man. And yes. it's just Luke. <laughs> it's Luke. Everything about him, the hands, yeah. the eyebrows, the, uh, the smile, the teeth. Oh, oh, he's got a, it all. And that's just a physicality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so, but we've got to put enough numbers on there that it makes, it makes sense for him. And so, you know, trying to figure out how to give him like in a, a raise, but an indefinite raise, right? Basically, you know, 10 years, insane buyout. Um, we, we want you here. And we want you here long term and for good. And for him and his family, there's something to be said for going up to Notre Dame and having an entire fan base that's pleasantly surprised instead of angry. Like if, if we had lost, I think folks would have been like, ah, oh, man, we didn't get over the top. Nobody right. would have, nobody would have said fire Luke fickle. No, no. Cause that's not, that's not in anybody's heart. We all know what he's doing. Right. We all can see it. We see the fruits. So, you know, I think that is, is certainly, you know, something we, we, he ought to think about in his analysis is super, super unique. Like I would never anticipate that being that would, that dynamic would not be available at any other university. No. Cause, cause again, the history book is thin, right? 
So we are delighted by your success. Right. Um, like hopefully our history grows into a place where we are a little bit more, you know, short leash of, Hey buddy, come on, let's, you know, when you can't lose that game and, and, and there are, you know, some more irrational calls for uh, crazy decisions, but as it stands right now, it just, it, it would be, you know, you'd be have to be an absolute lunatic uh, to demand anything about Luke fickle, not coaching Cincinnati. Well, he, he's built up so much goodwill and it's more than just, it's more than just the winning that he's doing right now. He's winning. On, we're seeing the winning on the recruiting battles. So yeah, he, he does have a little, you know, longer of a leash than what you would give, you know, other, you know, big name coaches, or if you would, you know, we, we believe in the process uh, that, that he's taking us through we, in the journey that we're going on with him. Yeah. So yeah, there, there should be absolutely zero calls if you lose that game for him him being fired. Cause you see what he's building. It's more than just, it's more than just gimmicks. Like you said, like Brian Kelly was only here for what, three seasons. He didn't really get a full real recruiting cycle, even in where Luke fickle is now getting ready to basically go through the second recruiting cycle of his career at UC. And that's something that we haven't seen in a long time from a very high level coach. Yeah. And it's going yep. well too. And I, you know, guys like Deshaun Pacer are case in point of, the pipeline is being built out and it's going to be terrifying year after year what, what this can become. Yeah. So, so getting, putting a number on paper for Luke that is long-term, maybe, yeah, maybe it's a 10 year, uh, you know, maybe it's lifetime. I don't know, but we put together a big number <laughs> and we say, Luke, just stay please. So doing that, that's the second piece. The third piece is the assistant pool. Um, because there's few things that annoy a coach, like their great assistants going to work at other places <laughs> when, you know, they're, you could pay them top dollar and retain them. Right. You know, or, Marcus Freeman did, yeah. Or even if you don't retain them, re replenishing is not as much of a challenge. Like Saban loses yeah. assistants constantly, but there's yeah. such a massive pool that it's, he has never a worry. Like I'm going to go get another talented guy to, to pull in here. Who's probably overqualified for the position he's in, but he's going to want to come here because of how special it is. Yep. Luke Fickle needs that, you know, that type of equivalent. Like we need those types of resources for assist for assistance and replenishing. Yep. So I think that, and then, then I think facilities is something that, um, you know, there hasn't been a single change to any, facility since Luke Fickle's taken the job. I mean, I know we just renovated Nippert for us. That's in our recent mind, but, but remember Luke arrived with no history book. So, so for him, <laughs> he's never, he's never seen how bad it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's, you know, his history started it's BL before Luke and after Luke um, and before Luke, there, there, you know, we, we underwent enormous renovations to Nippert and, and we also renovated our basketball facility, but Luke doesn't care about that. He, from his perspective, he's been here, you know, for four years and, and he hasn't seen a single thing, right? We haven't, we haven't built anything for him. We haven't renovated anything for him. So we got to do that. That's, it's got to, we got to demonstrate a commitment as a university to the program. Um, 
Which in, in, be- in Thamel's write-up of his all-access visit to Cincinnati, it did seem like there's some allude. There is a lot of alluding to the sixty million dollar project for the practice facility um, near campus. It seems like that is very much in process at this point, but it does need to happen post haste at this point, uh, given given everything he's done and given where we are at right now. Yeah, he's he, here's here's what you can't do with a guy like the kind of guy who would look at me and say, "I don't really." I don't re- really recall much about the University of Cincinnati prior to taking this job. The kind of person who answers that, frankly, is not one who cottons to um, uh, to what we'll call it, fat, you know, BSing, uh, punting, kicking the can down the road, um, puffery uh, bullshit. He doesn't <laughs> deal with those things well. Yeah. He's rather plain spoken and he's going to go, um, are you, what are you building? Are you building anything now? Have you broken ground? <laughs> no. Have you, have you, who's the general contractor for this project? You don't have one. Well, then you're not doing anything. Have you collected right? certs? <laughs> That's right. Like he's, he's not going to, you're not going to be able to just like, you know, put together some drawing and show them and go, huh? Yeah, this is what we're going to look at for you. He's going to go, I well, I, I'm going to design it differently. And then he's going to say, and then um, does it start next week? Because if it doesn't, uh, I don't believe you. And you especially can't do it after the, the you know, the, the main project of his tenure, which was going to be and, and will be this locker room renovation that got cut in half. So at that point, yeah. you need to like, OK, now we turn that that cut in half project where is that money? Where's that missing money going? Like, let's show that in, in tangible real life projects and work, not just the, uh, the, the, the drawings, as you were saying. And why doesn't he have a plane? I mean, I'm personally, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Like why, <laughs> why doesn't that guy, why am I flying to the game there it is. with much, with much There's easier. The flex. There it is. <laughs> why do i have greater access to that than a guy like him what you know again b-fox, b-fox took a pj to the notre dame game b-fox what? took a pj i have i have a unique cadre of friends and and matt brennan who flew me is is one of the greatest uh also a guy the guy that that flew me up there he has climbed six of the seven highest points on every continent. Uh, he stopped a thousand feet short of Everest last year, but he's going back in March. Oh, I worry for him. Pretty incredible, right? I struggle to climb flights of stairs. So not, not that relatable, but, but why doesn't a guy like Luke have access to be able to fly like private whenever, like, again, you know, we, <laughs> What kind of access do they have any access to private jets? I thought there was some sort of, they're trying to put together something like a fundraiser toward it. But you know, again, what show me a better marketing event than that football game against Notre Dame. Show yeah. me where more eyeballs, more families, more parents, more sons and daughters who are thinking about where they're going to go to college. Where, where could they have possibly connected in a better way? with the university of Cincinnati. You just won't find it. It's why 
Ono was so big on it. Um, and I, 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 I'm hoping that Pinto catches the vision here and recognizes how special it is. And um, he's coming, coming around. He was at the game. I saw the pictures. He's was. catching football fever here. Yep. Yep. You know, and, and John Cunningham's not a, you know, you know, his personality is not, he's not captain cheerleader, right? He doesn't have pom-poms on a sideline, but he is a, a responsible adult who I, I sure hope is now kind of has his marching orders of, all right, I got to figure this out. Yeah. We've you all, know, I, someone we've all grown to respect. There's very little questioning of John Cunningham at this point, at this point, but he does have a very, I mean, he's got a very difficult job ahead of him and a lot of work to be done still. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you know much about the Bearcat Air Project and this fundraising that they're doing on, on October 14th for, you know, it sounds like that is intended to be more or less a private jet, but available to to basketball, football, all sports, it seems like. What do you know about that? It, well, I don't know that it's available to all sports um, because they have not. Uh, I have a soft spot in my heart for, uh, of course, the baseball team and co- what Coach Guggins is trying to build. So I've not seen him, uh, you know, their program attached to that. I don't know if they're a part of it or not, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't know anything about it other than I've seen it out there. And you, and so we need to find out more about that. It sounds like I, I need more. It's such a, it's such a vague, it's not vague. Like I understand what they're saying. Okay. Bearcat air, simple. We get a plane. Our coaches uh, are traveling a little more lux- luxuriously and easily to, uh, to lure future you know, all-time Bearcats onto campus. Uh, but other than that, I have no, you know, comprehension of like, of, of the the vision for it long-term other than, you know, let's, let's, let's get some money for it. So I am curious. I'm sure well, there's some I folks mean, we can get on here eventually, but. We, we beat Notre Dame in South Bend, right? Our, our players and coaches were sitting on their bus in Indianapolis at like midnight. I mean, look, I, <laughs> I, I get, I'm not, I'm just saying like, why, why didn't we charter a flight for the team up there? I know it's a four hour drive, but come on. Like, we're pl- I, I don't know. I, I'm just, I feel like we can't be cheap anymore. Like it, it's time to throw as much money at this program because it's going to connect better than anything we could possibly do as a university. So let's throw, how big is the airport in South Bend? Big enough to host a charter of a college football team and coaches. What did you there's just, like? I mean, like it'll it'll land like a like a seven thirty seven. I mean, I don't know what you're talking. I like your. Well, I mean, from like for chartering the flight perspective, like I'm trying thinking through the logistics <laughs> here. I am nip, I'm nitpicking it because you have to fly to Chicago <laughs> and then you have to drive the sure. you have to drive the Chicago down, and so it's like, all right, is it really worth it from a time perspective when we're going to be there in four hours? Because I do this mental exercise in my head whenever I drive to Boston. Like some people are like, well, why don't you fly to Boston? I'm like, well, by the time I get to the airport, get on a go to security, get on an airplane, go to go to Boston then get off the plane, have to go do wherever I have to go. Like it was quicker for me just to drive to Boston. I, I saw some enormous planes. Okay. Uh, but I'm, I'll, <laughs> so I'll be we honest probably with you. could have, we probably could have. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not sure. Can we, I'm, can I'm, we, I'm not, but I'm I am looking, I am looking right now, a private jet. We could buy this. All right. Okay. $2.5 million. Okay. For a private jet for Luke fickle 
to fly wherever he wants for recruiting purposes. 2.5 million guys. I, this, this sounds like a lot, but it's, it's perfect timing. I was reading about the Warren Buffett's, uh, Warren Buffett buying his first jet. He, he paid a million dollars for the first one. And then he upgraded and spent $5 million on the second one. Once he realized how awesome it truly was. It's a different experience. It we, really is. Well, we need to hear about the experience. When you when you drop the the info that you're you're PJing down to to South it's Bend just, or out to South Bend, you just Bend. drive up. You just drive up. You get on the plane. I mean, it's nobody's it's, nobody's patting you down. Are you getting patted down? There's no pat downs. No pat downs. I mean, is, does you, someone you hand you a drink as you walk on? Yes. Oh. Yes. You literally you park your car, uh, and then you walk in. And you, you get on the plane and you fly somewhere. And then you get off the plane and you just walk over and you Uber to the game or whatever. Or if you're a team, you would hop on a bus. But it's the most easy and convenient thing you could dream of. Uh, like, it, so if it's some, it, you know, from now on, if it's somewhere that's, you know, it, it's going to be a reason. I mean, think about how many folks were complaining about being parked on you know, 31 or 465 or wherever they were going with all the other UC fans who were trying to get home. Like it's, uh, we ought to, we ought to work uh, and, and fundraise and allocate money from the budget such that our team does not have to live, you know, uh, it, as leanly as maybe it does right now. Here, 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 here. We need that big 12 money. You go, you go, you go hang a W in South Bend. Like we, that's our bad that you were on a bus at midnight. That's our bad. That's on us. No doubt. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That's, that's a good point. A fair point. And yeah, those, those boys should have been flying home in luxury. No doubt. Certainly. I mean, they certainly should have been sitting on the road as you fly above them, sipping on a daiquiri. What, what are you drinking? What were you drinking on the plane? Miller lights, Miller lights. How many, how many on the flight? How many can you put down on a flight? Are you like Wade Boggs? Are you like Andre the giant or is it more? Of <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not bonging them. I'm not bonging beers on my, on my, on my PJ. It's, it's not, I'm not headed to Gatlinburg. You know, well, We're after the game, the after the game, game, you're, you're on, you're emotional. You're sobbing. You're, you're, you're like, you can't bear to watch the videos. And maybe you're coping by just slugging Miller, Miller lights. I'll be honest. The last thing I needed after that game was more alcohol. Um, uh, because again, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to prevent, I'm around other grown men and I'm trying to prevent them from seeing me wiping away tears. You know, like I don't, you don't want your brand to be the blubbering, John Boehner of the fan of the fan base. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of would love it. I kind of would love the idea of seeing you sobbing. Um, look, we've, we've kind of run long here. The last thing I want to ask you for, since you're there in person, you're on Lovely the sideline. All right, go ahead. We did. I just want to make sure we finished all four points. Was, oh, was the there a fourth point? Was there the, f I thought there was three points. Amy fickle. Crayons. Luke Fickles, Luke Fickles, larger salary for however long. Um, uh, assistant pool and facilities. Those are my four. Okay. Just want to make sure we, we, we covered them all. And crayons. No? <laughs> oh, yeah. The Amy Fickle crayons. 
drive. We're doing that. That's for sure. They might, they, they may someday leave us, but they're going to feel awful on the way out. Let's do it. Everyone, everyone who listens to this podcast, if you have a child, that child is writing a letter this week. And where are we sending them, Brian? Do they get sent to the administrator's office? Do you have their address? Like where, where are these going, Brian? Don't put their address on the podcast, but, but you tell me how we're doing this logistically. That, let me think about that. We need to think about uh, a clearinghouse. I don't want to inundate my secretary with this responsibility. <laughs> but um, why are we getting all these construction paper things? Um, but also, you know, my youngest is in a sling. So oh. maybe I just like drop him off, you know, at the driveway. And then just, you know, he's just like asking them, you know, Luke Fickle, please don't ever leave. And he's in a sling. Hard to turn an injured kid down. No doubt. So does he have to wear the sling for the next, you know, in, indefinitely until pretty until much things yeah. are shirt up until that 10 years on his desk and signed? It's not like Munchausen syndrome. It's just, you know, dad's just a huge fan syndrome. <laughs> My dad made me do this, but don't go, Coach Fickle. He said he's going to do things that he would regret. <laughs> Jesus. All right. I might edit that out. Um, let's. <laughs> that got dark. That got dark quickly. You just got to leave that one in there. <laughs> um, you're, you're close to the sideline during the game, taking fantastic photographs. You can find them at Bearcats Radio on Instagram or on Twitter. Um, but I did want to ask you, you get you got to an up close and personal view of, of people watching the game and experiencing the game, such as Wes Miller um, you get to see Marcus Freeman's reactions during the game and how he's taken the loss. Any funny observations from the sideline uh, of things you witnessed from some of the uh, the notable figures watching the game? You know, um, this is something that uh, I think is underestimated. Um, how how much of a family vibe there is with the Bearcats team. Um you know, before the game, Amy Fickle stands right outside the tunnel and is high-fiving or hugging each player as they go in. Like, think about that. Right. And then after the win, there's... Did she get that? Did she get that from Lisa Brennan? (laughs) (laughs) Who? (laughs) Oh, I don't even know what to say there. Um, So there's just a different... There's a different level of family and like commitment to the program that I think people don't quite catch. And like, you know, Des after, after the win is kind of running around uh, doing Des right. Be celebrating and, and being happy. And, you know, and then he sees, he, he, he sees uh, Amy and you know, there's just like, you know, this family level of embrace of, you know, we're all. So I, I think that's, um, you know, and, one of my observations, um, I like watching, I like watching, you know, Luke always talks, he used to always talk about body language, you know, and I remember I was at one practice early in, uh, in his coaching career and um, he commented on something that I was doing uh, during the practice. And I just remember being like, dude, you know, <laughs> thinking in my head, like, why are you watching me? And it's true. Like he does, he watches everyone and it there's, he's somebody who his body language is pretty funny on the sidelines. 
Like he's in it. He is in that game. I bet he's so physically exhausted because he's so engaged uh, in the in in the actual like field of play. I like watching him. Um, I you know I didn't see much. Like Wes was not. You know, he wasn't stutter stepping and crossing people over with an air ball or anything. Um, <laughs> and, and John Cunningham, it, you know, real G's move in silence. So it's not like he was interacting a whole lot. Um, but he was yeah. interacting with Orange Bowl, uh, Orange yes. Bowl executives. Of course he was, right? Because that's the responsible thing to do. Um, he's, he's, he's great. And I think he's, you know, Luke's had four years to build this apparatus, this organization, um, this championship elite level program. And it's worth noting that John Cunningham is new and he had a COVID year. And so he's still building his team, but I, I do have, I do have every confidence that he's, he's making the right decisions to build it better. Um, and I think he's going to, I think he's going to be great. And I think that Luke Fickle is, you know, I keep hearing Luke uh, be mentioned for that USC job. And it's just hard for me to imagine him going there um, because I don't, you know, I think he's going to, I think because he's going to want because all, of Mike Bone. because of Mike. Yeah. Bone. Yeah. I think, well, and, and Mike Bones early over there at USC I don't, I think he's got a tiger by the tail and it's going to take a bit. Um, and I, I, I just think that Lucas is, is, there's probably a really small selection of athletic directors that Luke would consider, you know, coaching under. And, and so if, if you're a university and that's, and he's what you want, you better make sure that you're, you're, the person in charge of your athletic department is the type of person that he wants. I love it. So you're ending, you're ending the podcast on a high of sorts low in the sense that you're mentioning, even daring to mention USC and all the, uh, and on all the shenanigans that are happening there where LA times writers are coming to Ohio to, to get, you know, mean quotes from, from associates and, and, and acquaintances of Luke Fickle. Uh, but you're also ending it by saying, not worried. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not worried about USC right now. Um, who yeah, would you I'm be worried not. about? It's a happy time. I don't, I don't want to, yeah, we don't have to speculate yeah. over, over who it's going to be, where it's going to go. We should, we should really stick to being happy, but I just, there are, and, there are, there are things out there, you know, like LA well, times. Let's that, be happy, but let's also recognize that the LA times is sending out a reporter to, to, to talk to John Cooper and Jim Tressel and and to allow them to uh, to say horrible nasty things that hurt my feelings about the university of cincinnati and and let's let's just acknowledge that that's the case and then let's take my four-point plan and let's put it into place okay <laughs> let's take care of amy let's take care of luke let's take care of assistance and let's get some facilities built absolutely so if you're taking anything away from this podcast i i want to get back to it we're going to mention it one more time Crayons for Fickle. Crayons yes. for Amy. We're writing sweet notes. We, we got to come up with a better. There's got to be. A, I, what's the, you know. We got we to gotta brand that we'll, better. We'll, we'll think about it. But yeah, we'll workshop like. that. But then also hop on poopsenders.com. And that's where you're sending. That's what you're sending to John Cooper and to Jim Tressel yes. and the like. 
Um, there's also extremes. there's also another good website. It's called uh, eatabagadicks.com. Oh, <laughs> and that's also a really good one. You can send them dick confetti, um, dick gummy bears, uh, with a note that says, you know, eat a bag of dicks. Oh, wow. We've truly gone off the rails. That is, that is I don't, you know, I honestly don't recommend that for, for Jim Tressel. He was less pointed and, and, and his son is also our defensive coordinator. Very good point. Um, Uncomfortable point. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's late. It's 1115 at night. Uh, we regret nothing. Yeah. Brian, let's we leave digress. it there, buddy. Let's leave it there. Um, let's leave it at We Want Bama. We want Bama. We want Bama. We absolutely unequivocally want Bama and we apologize, apologize for any sort of wavering that you may have heard. We yeah. want them. Let's leave it there, boys. Good to hear from you, Brian. Thanks for calling in and uh, joining us on the Cincy Slang and podcast again. We will, we will surely be in touch down the line uh, as the basketball season gets underway and we get to uh, celebrate this undefeated run paired with a nice uh, glass of, of West Miller. So looking forward to it, sir. Thanks again. No, thank you. Go Bearcats. And thank Luke.